message. All right. Um, now, when I um, uh, we're moving into our time here. We're in the book of Romans. And this week, we're looking at something that reminded me of a moment I had. When I was in about eighth grade, I moved from Tennessee to Wisconsin to a new school. And when you're that age, when you're in eighth grade and you're very insecure, at least I was, I'm sure all of you were not in middle school, uh, but I moved in and I met new friends. And I remember my dad saying, Drew, it's an opportunity to reinvent yourself, uh, which I don't know if that's actually <laughs> helpful because I was really nervous. And I thought, okay, okay, okay. And so I took that pretty literally and I met some friends the first day at lunch and they asked me about myself and some of the first information I gave them was that I had a really cool girlfriend, which wasn't true, but I was reinventing myself. It was, I was wishing. And they said, oh, where does your girlfriend live? And when you're in eighth grade and you live in Wisconsin and you don't want anyone to check on this fact, you say she lives in Canada. So I said, oh, she lives in Canada. And they said, oh, cool, where in Canada? I didn't know anything about Canada, but I did know that there was words that sound different. And so I told them she lived in Toronto. <laughs> you know, this state of Toronto. And someone, my friend who actually became a good friend, Derek said, oh, cool, Toronto. <laughs> he was also insecure enough not to like question me on that. That's <laughs> not a place. It sounded Canadian. And he said, where in Toronto? And I said, oh, you know, Canada City. The capital, obviously, of Canada is capital city. And I thought, I got it. These guys think I have a girlfriend in Canada City right now. She's waiting for me to call her tonight and talk to her. Um, but it stinks because there was another friend there who became actually a friend who knew his geography a little better than uh, Derek did. <laughs> knew that Toronto wasn't real, that Canada wasn't, Canada City wasn't real. And he quickly called me a liar. He said, this guy's a liar. And then he said, hey, everyone, the new kid, he's a liar. I was like, oh, no, that's not the identity I was hoping for. And then he used a word, because I remember it being one of the first times I had to ask about this word. He called me a hypocrite, which I believe is not the right context, actually, for that word. I just was a liar. But he said, and you're a hypocrite, too. And I felt terrible and I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And I went home that night and my parents said, how are your first days at school? And I said, oh, I might've told him I had a girlfriend in Canada and Toronto, and I'm sure my dad was so proud of me. Uh, and I said, they called me a hypocrite. And my, I remember my parents saying, well, that's not what a hypocrite is. You're just a liar. Uh, okay, thanks. But I learned what the word hypocrite was. What a great way to learn, I'll never forget. That and my parents explained, well, it's someone who says they're really passionate about something or something's really important to them or that they don't like something, then they end up still doing that thing. And so we started thinking of all the examples and realized that we, oh, we all have experienced those people and really have been those people. This week, we're in the book of Romans and in the book of Romans, uh, we're to a part where Paul is encouraging us to consider this thing. What does it look like to be hypocrites? And maybe what's the answer to being Hypocrite. What does it look like to be someone who kind of maybe has a moral code that they live by, uh, at least for the other people around them, and they don't necessarily live by it? Or what is it like to have someone judge someone for something, and then you find out they themselves are doing it? I think we feel this all the time, right? This is a, a thing that people are just itching to find about one another. You might have been called this yourself or felt this yourself. This might be something that you have felt in the church. It's a very, very common Thing. In fact, when they take surveys of people who don't go to church and say, 
what do you think of people in the church or why don't you attend a church? This often is one of the, nu- the number one things, if not the number one, is that churches are filled with hypocrites. People who say that they're so good, they say that we should love people and they themselves don't do that. So what does this look like? Well, we're looking in the book of Romans today and I think we're gonna be able to investigate what do we do with that? Is the church filled with hypocrites? What does scripture have to say about that? What, what do we do? How do we not be hypocrites? Well, we're gonna look at that today in Romans. We're in Romans 2, and just a quick recap, if you don't know, Paul here is laying out in Romans 1 and 2, he's, he's explaining to us kind of the dire situation we're in. He's explaining to us uh, that we have turned from God. All people have turned from God. That the creator has created us and we've turned away from our created to created things. And we call that in the church sin. It's a thing where we turn away and worship other things. We put our hope in something else as if that would bring us life and it doesn't. And so he's continued to walk through what that looks like in many different ways in Romans 1 and 2 as he builds uh, this case so that we can better understand when he shares the gospel, when he talks about Jesus, how good this Jesus is. Not just because Jesus is a good friend, but because we're in a really rough spot and need rescue. And so he's continuing that discussion today as we're in Romans 2. If you want to crack open your Bibles, all the scripture will be up on the screen. Um, uh, but we're in Romans 2 and we're in verse 17. He's been, in, in chapter 2, he's been talking to Jewish people specifically. In chapter 1, he was talking more to Gentiles. And this he's turned and said, uh, it sensed, knows that the Jewish people might be thinking, all oh, those Gentiles, those people who don't know the Lord, the people who aren't the chosen people, they're, they're, they are bad. Oh, Paul, you're right. They, they need Jesus. And now he's turned and said, yeah, and you do too. And so he's unpacking some of the core uh, beliefs that they might have, the core things that kind of run through that community that would make them not turn to Jesus, but really be their own versions of what sin looks like and disobedience. So we're actually getting towards the end of this. We're at the end of chapter two here today. And he's going to talk about what this looks like and I think really bring up these issues of what hypocrisy looks like and what do we do with it. So let's read this together. Um, I'll read this for us and then we'll unpack it. And I hopefully have some things for us today to, to really work on our own hearts. This is Romans 2, 17 through 24. We'll start here. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, you steal. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Did you hear the, the hypocritical language in this that he's talking about? Well, he unpacks in the first part here. He says, Here's the things that as a Jewish person, you probably would hold up that you would uh, boast about. And and not necessarily in a a bad way, just these are things you're proud of. You'd call yourself a Jew, uh, a Jewish person. That's important, just that name, because you're people who rely on the law. God has given you this law. He's shown you what it looks like actually to live the right life, a, a a life that's in light, the life that God has created for all people. He's given us this gift of that. 
you actually can brag about or boast about your relationship with him. He's actually come and picked you. He said, these are the people I'm going to use to bring this good news to others. Those are things, yeah, we are those people. We're the people who know his will and approve what is excellent. We're the ones who know actually what we were created for. God came right to us and our people throughout all of our history. He's the one who rescued us and used, is using us. We're the ones who are instructed by the law. And if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, we were the ones who are called to be guides to the blind. We're the ones to bring light into darkness. And then he says, you, you are those things, but are you those things? Or are you the people who can't guide yourselves? Are you the people who say you shouldn't steal and you steal? Well, this actually comes, these uh, come out of Isaiah 42, which is, would have been a passage that I assume most of them would know. And it actually gives this great call from Isaiah the prophet. He gives to God's people to say, this is what God has called us to. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth that comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it. Right? So here's God who created all things and gives life to all things and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. That's a cool thing. Huh? He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you people and I'm gonna bring you, I'm gonna give you to people of the world. I'm gonna give you my people to the people so that there would be a light to the nations in darkness, to open the eyes that are blind. You would help bring sight to those people who are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, who's who, uh, those who sit in darkness. I'm gonna help you free people. I'm gonna free people and you're gonna bring that great news to them that I free people, that people who are blind could see, that people who are in darkness could have light. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols." I'm gonna give you as people to the world as this covenant to say, hey, here's light and here's life and here's sight and here's glory. You're gonna to get to free people who are imprisoned. And then what did you do with it? And he says, you tell them, hey, don't commit adultery and you seem to be doing that yourself. You say, don't steal and you must be stealing you say, don't break the law and you break the law. You say, you shouldn't turn to idols and you're robbing temples. This historically, they think um, probably was there was a history of Jewish people actually stealing from pagan temples. They would steal their idols and then they'd like melt them down and make jewelry or things with them. Um, so they felt like it was maybe justified. And Paul here is even calling them out on that. He's like, to the point you're willing to steal things or take things from temples to make these jewelry. If you're, how important is your jewelry? or your gold that you're willing to take from other people. So you say all these things, but you really aren't these people. And in fact, you're called to be a light and to, to bring sight. And in fact, instead, look at this phrase, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's despised. People do not want to be around this God because of the way God's people are acting. This is actually a quote from um, a version of Isaiah 52. So just later in Isaiah, he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt. 
Now they're oppressed by Assyria. He's mentioning how God's people have been pulled out of their home, have been like cut off and moved away um, in their sin. What is this, asks the Lord? Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exaltation, my name is blasphemed all day long. The people that my people are around, I would hope, would say, there's light, I can see. We're being freed, chains are being broken because of the God that these people brought, the good news that these people brought to us about this God. And instead they say, we want nothing to do with this God. That's a big deal. Paul's saying this stuff you brag about isn't happening. And in fact, you're not bringing glory to God. You're bringing people who are railing against God. This word blaspheme could mean railing against or reviling or cursing, slandering. This word is the same word that's used when people are cursing Jesus when he's on trial. Like literally, it's like they're acting out this in real life. They're saying, Curse you, curse him, send him to die. He's saying the way that you have lived seems not to bear the image of God or represent him, but instead has turned people from him. And long ago, a prophet Isaiah said, this is happening. Friends, we're not doing what we're called to do. That people are not turning to the Lord. So it's creating these kind of bootleg, these kind of, uh, false, these kind of knockoff followers of Jesus. So people look at them and go, Ugh, I, don't, I don't think I want to be that, or that doesn't seem to be what I thought. This is these, these hypocrites, right? This, this reminds me of like just bootleg knockoff things. And thanks to the internet, there's just a plethora of, of images of knockoff things. The people looked at God's people and they should see God's glory. They should see light coming. They should see people who are helping them see goodness in life, and instead they don't. Instead, they see knockoff things. Here, let's look at a few, just to get a feel for this, if you're not sure. These are some of my faves that I found um, as knockoff things. Here's a Sharpie. Here's a Skirple. <laughs> That's what people are seeing. They're not seeing the, they're not getting the nice quality Sharpie. They're getting a Skirple. Close. How about some Arm & Hammer baking soda? How about an Arm & Hatchet baking soda? It's Close. That's a cool logo, the hatchet. It's a bigger box, it's kind of nice. How about some new style ninja tortoises? I loved these when I was a kid. Kind of close, but not really getting the thing that we were made to get, right? I love there's a label that says tortoise on them. Tortoise. <laughs> I love it. Or some prongles. I, could, I love a good can of prongles. They're so good. You pop that open thinking you're getting some tasty Pringles. Instead, you're getting Pringles. Kind of like it, but not really. Not really getting. Once you pop, that's great. <laughs> you can stop, but that's great. These are, you couldn't. I mean, this is so good. How about some Franz Traumers? <laughs> or if you don't want that, how about a Torn's Framsers? <laughs> yes. Oh, Incredible. How about, a how about a game child? <laughs> Open that thing up, play some of your favorite games. Just one button though, just fire is the only button on it. <laughs> game child. <laughs> I love these. How about just go to KFC to get some chicken? Or the KLG or the RFK or the MFK or the crispy fried chicken. <laughs> There's a whole like website of all the different KFCs in the world. It's incredible. Someone went, well, people like 
and desire fried chicken and mashed potatoes and some biscuits, I assume, because they're so, my mouth's watering, they're so good. And so they went, let's get something close to that and maybe people will come. After they pay for it, you know, you can't go back. They're not getting, though, what they were created or desired. I love even, look at these. All this, Colonel Sanders are like different than all these pictures. I, could, I can't get enough. How about this? Just like a knockoff soda. You even know you're kind of getting it, right? Like, oh, I'd love to crack open a cold Mountain Dew. I guess I can settle for a Mountain Rapids or a Mountain Explosion or a Mountain Lion or a Wild Mountain or a Mountain W or a Mountain Shouting or Mountain Frost. All Mountain. But not the syrupy original, right? And of course, there's ones for everyone. Here's a Dr. Pepper one. As long as it's some kind of doctor or mister, right? Dr. Skipper, Dr. A+, Dr. Stripes, Big K, Dr. Cave, Dr. Choice. I love it. You know, though, if you get one of these, you're like, oh, I kind of know what I'm going to get. Not, not fully Dr. Pepper, but I'm getting something close. How about this idea? How about the idea that it's, it's not even the product is the same. You just use the name because people know the name. How about you get some Google paper towels? They must be good. They're Google. Or what if you get some WhatsApp menswear? <laughs> We'll just take, everyone knows this name. If I slap the name on it, whatever the product, whatever the contents actually are of this, doesn't matter. The name is going to get people in the door. How true is that, right? There's this name, even how much do we slap like Christian onto something and hope, well, it doesn't matter if this is good or not, or even what people want. As long as it says Christian, then people will buy it. It hits home a little bit, right? I think this. I love these. I love these iPhone shoes. Those look real quality, right? The big Apple. <laughs> Incredible. You slap a name that everyone knows and has a they've maybe met, actually had good content from it, and you slap it on something else and say, well, this must be good. Well, it, for Jewish people, there is a thing. There's a few things, but there's one that really I think resonates with this. And Paul goes right after it. He says, There's something that you, a, a way that you label people, a thing that you signify these are the people of God brought here to bring light and life, to bring sight to the blind. That's what these people are here for. And so you can use this word and this thing that is an old, old tradition, uh, and it's circumcision. It's a word that is, for them, paired with being a Jewish person, you, these are just things that go together and they are a must if you want to be a Jewish person, at least a Jewish male. So let's continue on in the passage here. He says, you're hypocrites. You're not the same inside as you are on the outside. You're not who you're telling people. And he says, and here's, here's what this looks like. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Right, we're, we're gonna come back. There's a lot of circumcision talk here. When he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Okay, a lot of circumcision talk. Circumcision being this physical act of cutting off the foreskin of a young male. It's a tradition. We're going to look at this in a second. Um, for Jewish people, it's a, it's a mark for them, a mark that they are people who are separate, different, that God are, they're God's people. 
But Paul here is saying that just because you have that physical mark, that label on you, that doesn't necessarily actually mean that he's even saying that you're necessarily even a Jew, that you're actually even part of God's faithful people. He actually is so bold in this. I mean, this is, this is scandalous. He says, actually, if someone hasn't been circumcised, but they act like one of God's faithful people, then they are circumcised. Because circumcision, he says here, isn't about an outward label, right? It's not, it's not that it says Franz Traumers, right? <laughs> it's that it, it's actually what's going on inside. And he ends actually with saying, a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. He's saying that there's actually something about what's going on on the inside that actually makes you a Jewish person. He's not actually saying it's bad to be a Jewish person. He's saying what makes you actual what you're calling here, someone who's a faithful part of God's family and God's people. We have the same thing that happens now, right? We see this, uh, I'm a fill in the blank, and so then this must be true about me. How quick does this happen? Even if you've, have you met someone, or you're talking about someone, you say, hey, have you met Drew yet? Do you know he's a, and then they go, oh. And then now they know everything about me because they knew what, my political party? my religious affiliation, maybe what kind of music I listen to. I've had this recently. I uh, mentioned to a friend, I said, oh, a friend's going to come hang out. Uh, he's a lawyer. And he was like, ugh, <laughs> lawyers. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> he's very nice. I don't know what you're, he was like, I don't know. I guess we're supposed to hate lawyers, right? And you're like, well, I don't think so. I don't think that's true. <laughs> uh, or I said, hey, my friends are actually like in a metal band. I just met a person and I said, and he was talking about how he loves like metal music. He's like, the more screaming, the better. And I said, that's sweet. I said, I actually have friends in a metal band. It's actually made me appreciate it more. And he was like, oh, what kind of metal? I said, uh, like they yell a lot and it's loud. Because uh, I, know, I know there's kinds of metal. Josh, I know there's kinds of metal. I just don't know the kinds, okay? Uh, and he goes, oh, okay. Well, it, it depends on what kind of metal if they're cool. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> There's feuds within the metal people, not the metal community. Everywhere, right? Well, well, I think Jewish people have a reason to hold on to this. And I think Paul wants them to understand it's not so that we can just say, now you're circumcised and now you're good. There's a different reason. So let's go all the way back to when we first heard about this. This is in Genesis 1. This is, this is way back. It's actually not Genesis 1, but it's way back. Um, this is when God first tells Abraham, God's... God's like the, the father of the Jewish people. He tells him about this. So let's hear like what, what the heart was for this. Then God said to Abraham, as you, as for you, you must keep my covenant, this covenant relationship, right? This connected relationship they have. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. We want to stay in relationship. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. God says you should do this. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between you and me. It's a signal to people that I have a covenant, a relationship with this God, with God, the one true, the holy God. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or brought with, uh, bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not 
are those who are not your offspring. So anyone who's gonna be brought into your household and the God's household into this relationship with this God will be marked by this way. This will be a signal, a mark to the world that you're part of this relationship for me. Whether born in your household or brought, bought with your money, they must be circumcised. Make it clear, right? We want them all circumcised as a mark. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This would, I would guess, would be where as Paul's writing this, they'd go, Paul, remember when Abraham had that meeting with God? It seemed very clear that God said, I want you to circumcise people. And if you don't, then they'll be cut off from people. It's going to be really important here to understand how we actually see this kind of thing happen throughout our Old Testament. God did call them to do this. And Paul's going to eventually here in Romans remind us that things are different. Jesus has changed these things. But he does remind us of something interesting here. This word cut off, this phrase actually, you'll be cut off from his people, broken from the covenant, is a phrase we actually see throughout scripture. And it's, they're actually acting something out here. This is actually a common thing amongst people just in, in ancient Middle East. There's moments like in Genesis 15 where God makes a covenant and he actually says, split all the animals in half and walk between them. That's weird. Why would you split animals in half and walk between them? Because it's a thing that happens. They actually act out. This is what will happen if our covenant is broken. This is what will happen if, if us making this relationship, this forever relationship, if we break it, this is actually what will happen. And he's saying, uh, you'll actually die. There's actually death. In fact, in this story, it's incredible. Only God walks through it. He says, uh, which is what, what an amazing, right? foreshadowed to that one day God will be the one who will actually die because we break the covenant. Or think about Adam and Eve actually being cast out and it says you will return to dust. There's actually an image there of like when the covenant is broken with God, a relationship is broken, this is actually what it'll be like. Or we see even as on the day of atonement, which we talked about recently, they actually pray the prayers of the sin of people on a goat and send it off to be like cast out of the community, to run off into the wilderness as a scapegoat. To remind people that if your sin actually causes you to be separated from the family of God. And the the other one, they pray over the lamb and the lamb is slaughtered. Your sin actually kills us. And so so God here is doing something. He's like, I'm gonna mark you as my people. And this is gonna be a mark. We're gonna actually get to cut something off of you because This is to remind us that when we're not in relationship with God, we become cut off from God. It's this this way of kind of acting out. If this relationship doesn't work, this covenant doesn't work, this is what will happen. And so we find ourselves much like people then for, let's let's finish this here, for, uh, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly and physical. He's saying, I I want you to understand this idea of circumcision isn't just you mark a person and then they're good. The idea is that mark signifies that there is a relationship. And in fact, this is much more of an internal thing. This is much more of a heart thing. And And he clarifies it here by saying, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. I want your heart marked by me. I want your heart to be marked so that we know to get, we're in this together. I'm not leaving you, you're not leaving me. And he says, because praise 
should not be coming from man, but from God. Because the outward just causes us to create a shell and a sign and a signal that like I'm this person, whether or not we are inside. And that's not what we're here for. We're here for God to change hearts, which will eventually change our outside. God wants to mark our hearts, change our hearts. True circumcision, circumcision is a mark of our relationship with God and our hearts. So I, I think I can very, very easily relate to this. In eighth grade, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, I was called a hypocrite. At least the first time I remember being called a hypocrite. And I, I still am. I still put on a show. I still put on a label. I still want people to think I'm something because uh, I want them to think I'm, there's content in me or something about me that's better or stronger or smarter. And then people, it doesn't take long to know any person, right? And you find a moment where you go like, oh, you said that, but I don't see you doing that. Very quickly that happened as a parent. <laughs> I can remember the first times my kids say that. You say that, dad, but you don't do that. You're like, okay. <laughs> well, you still should do it. <laughs> so what's the, what's the answer here? Paul is saying, hey, you're not who you, you think you are. and you, you think you're better. You think you're smarter. You think you have something and you're not bringing that. You're stealing just like everyone else. You're turning to idols just like everyone else. So this again would be a place where you go, because we're not reading Romans like it was intended where we read the whole thing together, you'd go, oh, bummer, cool. And I'd say, hey, everyone, all right, you're hypocrites. Have a good week. <laughs> Thank God we don't end there. I did those search. I thought, well, maybe Google's got something for us. And thankfully, there's tons of websites that help you understand how to not be a hypocrite. I found one of my favorites. Here's nine tricks to avoid becoming a mistrusted hypocrite. There might be trusted hypocrites, but this one is to not become a mistrusted. Let's just start out. Let's just do this, guys. If we do these nine things, maybe ignore everyone and act only based on your own moral compass. There's no way I could do that. We could try, though. Maybe avoid condemning people. That'd be good. Identify context and how it changes the way you think. It'd be helpful. Actually understand the context and listen to your cognitive dissonance. Reserve judgment until you've actually experienced something. That's a very good tip. That might help me not be a hypocrite. Practice integrity. I'd say every day. That's a good tip. Write that on your to-do list. Never make promises. Huh, I think I probably should make some promises to people and maybe try to keep them. I guess though, if you don't, I know in this article I expand on these, it said if you don't make promises, then you never can break a promise. Well, I guess that's true. Avoid positions of power. So if you're not in a position of power or people look up to you, then it's a lot easier to not be called a hypocrite because then no one goes like, hey, you said this, but you didn't do it. But I love the last one. Don't trust your friends. <laughs> So to not be a hypocrite, I should not trust anyone. This actually sounds really hard, impossible probably to do. It also sounds like a life that's not full of light and seeing and life. It actually asks you to not trust your friends. It said if, uh, if they find that a lot of people um, become hypocritical because they uh, connect to a certain group of people and then within those people, they believe all of them can only do right and other groups can, can only do wrong. And so they call everyone else hypocrites and they don't call themselves hypocrites. And so it said, if you don't want to be called a hypocrite, don't have anyone you're associated with. That would be tough too. Thankfully, right, this isn't the answer. 
Paul's going to give us the answer later in Romans, but I think it even we get a little hint of the answer back in Romans 1. This is what we call this kind of thesis statement of Romans. This Paul gives us to us right in the beginning, and then he's like, now I'm going to unpack what this looks like. And he says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, this good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it, <clears throat> in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's setting everyone up here. And, he, and, and now he's going to tell everyone, hey, you are a hypocrite. You're, you're broken. You're going to be a mess. You're, you're going to say that, hey, we should love people. And you're going to that afternoon be really unkind to someone. You're going to look for approval from people. And so you're going to change your label or, or who you say you are or even do things that are really uncharacteristic of yourself in order for them to like you. You're going to let people down. You're going to try to decide what content is in your heart on your own and, and work hard to make it a certain thing, not knowing that really you aren't the one who controls that. You're going to make your title or your nationality, your occupation, your political affiliation, maybe where you live or what you drive even, your identity. Maybe you're going to make your status as a parent or if you're single or if you're a Christian or whatever it is, that's going to be who you are. And in some sense, we're all going to be faking it. So Paul wants us to know that that, that, isn't, that isn't what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. God doesn't say, I need you to figure this all out. I need, I need the, the label you give yourself to be exactly who you are. I need you to always be bringing light, always be bringing sight to people. I need you to always be free in those people. Instead, um, Isaiah 52 goes on and actually tells us what this looks like. So Isaiah 52, which told us that God's name is blasphemed because of God's people instead of glorified because of God's people goes on. And it's not long after this in Isaiah 52 as he shares this and we chug down that we hit Isaiah 53 which if you read our Good Friday service, we read together this year. This tells us of this great suffering servant who would come to rescue us from this place and rescue us from a life of hypocrisy. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, blasphemed, despised. And we held him in low esteem. He took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our hypocrisy, our relationship that was broken. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. He's the one's bringing healing. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our sin, all that stuff is now on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor is there any deceit in his mouth. You see verse eight? It's the same phrase. He was cut off from the land of the living. 
for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Isaiah is saying, there will be a servant who will come and he will be cut off. Just like that covenant said, just like God said, if we aren't in relationship, if, if I'm not the one you're turning to, if I can't be your creator, if you turn to other things in hope that they will rescue you, then you'll be cut off. In fact, earlier in Romans, we hear we kind of cut ourselves off. He says, there'll be a suffering servant who will come and he'll be the one who will be cut off. He will be the one who will bear transgressions of my people. You hear this? He's saying like us, he's coming to bear our transgressions. And Jesus does this. He's cut off from God's blessing. The wrath that we deserve, he takes. And he gets cut off in our place. And he gets buried in a grave alone in our place. So that we would not be cut off. He gets hung on a cross, buried in a tomb, labeled as a criminal, a blasphemer, despised, forsaken. He even says the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cut me off. seen as a really bad Jew at best, or even some would say a demonic messenger at worst, but was the only one who has never been a hypocrite. He's the only one that authentically presented himself completely as he was. The only one who actually brought light and actually healed the blind, like real in real life, physically and also spiritually, but he carried the punishment for us for our hypocrisy, for our sin. And what does he do for that? He gives us new life, a new heart. He gives us that circumcised heart that God does approve of. And that's what we hear in Colossians. In him also we were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which we were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Our faith, as we saw in Romans 1, our faith is what makes us right with God again in that relationship. Isn't this incredible? We're, we're sitting, waiting. We're going, well, what am I supposed to do then, Paul? I don't know how to do this. I'm trying, but I, I'm not who I say I am a lot. He says, it's because it's you should say, I am weak, I am broken, and I need someone to fix, to heal me. And Christ has come and I put my faith in him as the one who heals me. You hear this again in Galatians, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Here he's talking about people are gonna say, hey, you have to get circumcised if you actually wanna be a Jew or if you actually wanna be a Christian. And he says, yeah, the ones though that are circumcised you, they don't even do what they're supposed to do. And now they wanna do this so they can say, hey, we have another one who's been circumcised. May I, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. That comes from our faith in Christ. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel, uh, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. By putting faith in Christ, we're now marked by him not by a physical act of circumcision. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit. Brothers and sisters 
Amen. No longer a mark only for young males, a mark for all people on all hearts because of what Christ has done. That's the answer to hypocrisy. That's the answer to, hey, uh, it's really hard uh, to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. It is full of hypocrites. Actually, any place you go is full of hypocrites. I think we start thinking of the church as a place of all people who have perfected themselves instead of a hospital for the sick, which is what Jesus calls us. If I went to a hospital and I expected to see everyone healed and at their healthiest, I would say, this isn't a hospital. Uh, I might say, this is a really great place. So we can see ourselves as a hospital, a place where people who are really sick can come and people who are getting well, who are getting strong are here helping others, but a place where we are broken, not a place where we have to act like we got it all together. Tim Keller talks about this idea like this. When the spirit works in someone, he gives them the son's circumcision. Neither our religious performance nor our lack of religious performance matters. It's not if we're very religious, if we really follow the rules or if we don't follow the rules. It's all back on Christ. Through the spirit applying the work of the son to us, the father sees us as objects of praise, not condemnation because of Jesus' work. We don't need to praise ourselves or live for the praise of others. Our Father in heaven sees us as beautiful. That's the good news we get to tell people. That's the good news we get to say, hey, you wanna come hang out with me on Sunday at my church? We're all kind of broken and we're tired and we go there to be reminded of a God who brings light into our darkness, a God who heals our hearts, a God who empowers us, emboldens us, a God who marks my heart, a God who, who's freed me from a life uh, of trying to just follow religious rules to be good, but instead now has changed me and so now I want to follow these rules. I think this, we're gonna sing this song here in a minute and uh, this is exactly what it's talking about. How, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's us. How great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away, cuts him off, Jesus, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Jesus gets cut off so that we could be brought into the family of God. I ask our worship team to come up. As they come up, uh, usually we like to ask a few questions to kind of get us thinking and responding, application questions. And Tim Keller has actually created some questions to make us think, do we, are we thinking religiously like I got rules and I can follow this moral code and that makes me a certain person. Are we thinking gospel, like I'm changed from the inside in my heart? So here's a few of them. These have uh, been really good for me this week to, to ponder. It says, religion says I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I follow the rules and then God accepts me. The gospel tells us I'm accepted and therefore I wanna obey. Religion tells us motivation is based on fear and insecurity. Gospel tells us motivation is based on grateful joy. Man, how much am I motivated by fear? Or still, insecurity. Many years later, still insecurity. The gospel says, no, 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 Drew, you can be motivated by grateful joy. I obey God in order to get things from God. The gospel tells us the good news that I obey to get God, to delight and resemble him. Religion tells me when I am criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it is critical that I think of myself as a good person. Threats that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. The gospel tells us when I'm criticized, I struggle 
but it's not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. Well, that changed your day if we actually lived in that. Religion tells us my prayer life consists largely of petition, and it only heats up when I'm in a time of need. My main purpose in prayer is to control is control of the environment. What if the gospel says my prayer life consists of general stretches of praise and adoration? My main purpose is fellowship, relationship with God. Religion tells us when the circumstances in my life go wrong, I am angry at God or myself. I am good and deserve a comfortable life. The gospel tells us when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, but I know all my punishment fell on Jesus. That while God may allow this for my training, he will exercise his fatherly love within my trial. Religion says my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. The gospel says my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for me. I'm saved by sheer grace, so I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different than me. Only by grace, I am what I am. Ch- changes everything. Believing, putting faith, understanding this grace. And so as we uh, move to a time of worship here together, uh, I just want us to consider that. One thing, do you know only by grace you are what you are and that you're okay in Jesus? We're gonna move to a time where we can sing together. We can take communion in the hallway. We have opportunity to take communion, which is the opportunity to remember Jesus's body broken, his blood shed, him being cut off so that we could have life, we could have relationship with God. Also be people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. I encourage you to take that um, opportunity and you can always give in response to the gospel and you can do that on our website. Let me pray quick for us and we'll worship together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us, your grace that you have lavished on us. Thank you for this good news that even in our brokenness, you um, went to a cross, went to the grave, rose from the dead so that we could have life. It's not because we performed well enough. It's because you came and rescued us. I pray that would change our hearts, that would empower us and embolden us, um, that would heal us. I pray that as we sing these words, they would be true. Amen.